from Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Riff Gitzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a black Orthodox Jewish woman about what it's like to have everyone assume she isn't Orthodox, the subtle things she and all black people encounter in everyday life that you are probably clueless about, and the power behind the words we use. In this conversation with Yaf Newman, you're going to hear me get uncomfortable. The truth is that racism is a big yarn to unravel and not a topic that I know a lot about. Things like police brutality, stop and frisk, and systemic poverty are issues I've never really given a lot of thought to. And I guess that fact is kind of the point Black people have been trying to make for a long time. I was told I was super precocious, (laughs) (laughs) mischievous, um, overly curious. Um, yeah, all of those adjectives. <laughs> all, all of the things. Yeah, me too, by the way. All yeah. just fitting, fitting into all of those things. Um, and like, what, what was your life like growing up? Was, what was your family like? What did your parents do? Tell me about you. Okay, so what was it like for me growing up with the skin I am as a young kid, you're saying? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, um, so I grew up in a really beautiful community in South Florida that I had the opportunity and the luck to be born into I did nothing for that so in terms of the color of skin that I was born with and everything I really had a great childhood Um, for the most part I had a really fantastic time and a lot of acceptance by my peers and my community Um, there definitely were a lot of things that were not accepted but for the most part anytime I ran into anything about that it was people outside of my community and not as much the home that I was brought into. So you grew up in a mostly white neighborhood, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There was literally one Black family in my side of the neighborhood, um, and they moved, like, 10 years ago, and everyone was like, oh, (laughs) oh, that's it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) We're we're the last frontier. (laughs) We've taken over, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was pretty much an all-white neighborhood. And when, what... I mean, that's such such an obviously visible way to be different from the people that are around you. And you said that your neighborhood was really accepting, but did you still feel different? Did you still feel other? So my father actually is at least two generations older than us. And as a result, he lived through a very tumultuous time here in the U.S. He was born in the late 30s. So yeah, he was born into a totally different America. And as a result with all of my siblings, and I wasn't spared this, he was almost to the point of obsessive with ensuring that we knew who we were as black individuals and that we didn't forget our history and that we were very cognizant of this. Um, I grew up in a fully Orthodox home, but Orthodoxy was not the only forefront that he wanted to make sure I could not ignore or run away from or that wouldn't be a huge part of my life um so i would say that from my community itself i didn't tend to feel other um but my father's i guess i would say urging and deeply urgent attempts to make sure that i understood where i came from 
definitely made sure that I always was aware of the fact that I was different, even if other people weren't making me feel other, which did also happen. Right. So what's, what I think is hard for people to wrap people like me who are, I'm as white as they come. I'm basically see-through. And (laughs) that means that with, you know, when it comes to things like that, like I'm used to being considered other for being Jewish, for being visibly Jewish, for being Orthodox. Like you can spot an Orthodox person on the street from a million miles away, just based on how we dress. Um, And you exist in these two spaces. You know, you're, you're also Orthodox. Um, Do most people assume that you were not born that by the way? Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) That is like the, the baseline. It's not even like an assumption. It's like the given, like whenever I go to a space that is also Jewish, um, also Orthodox, but just not where I was born. It's like a given that either I must be adopted or a convert. And if neither one of those things are true, then it's a given that my parents must be converts. Um, so yeah, that's like always the assumption, which isn't correct. Right. Is that super annoying? It's super annoying. Yeah. Because I don't, and I don't think, I think that's something that's really important for me having grown up in this community. And once again, like the same way that I think one of my favorite quotes about Judaism is two Jews, three opinions, like (laughs) uh, so our nation, our community. So, I mean, the same is applicable for a lot of different groups and communities all over the world. Like my feelings and my view on my life aren't necessarily how someone else in my shoes would have felt. Um, but for me personally, it was super frustrating because it just kind of felt like people were saying, well, there's no possible way that this could be. Obviously, if you're the skin color that you are, and if you actually are orthodox, then it must be that you fall into one of these categories. And if I couldn't fall into one of those categories, then people would start poking holes in my orthodoxy to see, are you actually religious? Um, and when they found out that (laughs) I actually was religious and none of the boxes checked, then there are usually a lot of confused looks. Right. And then I, I can imagine that what they're thinking is like, well, if you are black and you are totally orthodox, then like, how did that happen? Like where, like I can, it's because let's, let's be honest for a second. I can't, I can think of maybe three orthodox black people that I know. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of three. And you're one of them. So (laughs) that, and that may, and, and the other two are converts. So it's because it is such an unusual space. I mean, I, I want to say like, you can't blame people for thinking that, but also they shouldn't be thinking that. And I think that's where people get really, I know that's where I get stuck. uh, Certainly. It's like, when you think about, um, you know, we ever, I think I'd like to think that most people start at this baseline of love and accept all people and be nice to everyone. And, and, and that's just a great, but then, but then there are things that go past that. And then there are things that go farther than that. And I know that you have been really outspoken about um, racism, particularly in the Orthodox Jewish community. And it's something that I know your father was really passionate about. Yeah. What, what, what's that conversation like? How does that, how does that play itself out? So, I mean, First off, I do want to say something that's very important for me in this conversation in general, whenever it comes up. Um, 
my father in general was really into just fighting racism. I don't know that he was as much into fighting it in the Orthodox community, but also my father didn't grow up in the Orthodox community. You know, he grew up in Tennessee. He was a New Yorker, but he spent a lot of his childhood years in Tennessee. So the area that he was in did not have a huge Orthodox community. So this wasn't his childhood the way that it was for me. Um, and I think there are a lot of really incredible people who are out there of all races and all skin tones who are fighting racism. So when I entered this whole world, it wasn't as much so to combat like general racism. It was more what you just said. Like for me, it was about the orthodoxy and the blackness. And I think one of the biggest things that people are like, oh, but like, is the first thing that comes to mind is to defend the orthodox community. And one of the most important things that I need to say is that I don't think that most people in the Orthodox community who might fall under the category of being a racist are overtly racist or intentionally racist or maliciously racist, you know? Um, I don't think that that's most of the Orthodox community, um, especially not from our generation. Perhaps older generations, they went through different times, different things, it's a different life, it's a different story. But from our generation, I really don't feel that way. I don't feel like people look at me and they automatically are thinking negative thoughts. I think a lot of it is things that we grew up with in our surroundings and our families that may not have always been intentionally passed on to us. And we may not even be aware that they were passed on to us. And then when people meet people like me, a lot of times these unintentional things come out as microaggressions or subtle racism or little remarks that I don't even think a lot of times people themselves are aware of. Um, so yeah, that's why it was so important for me to, for once, open my mouth and speak about this because it's something that I'm, as much as I'm happy to speak in person, one-on-one -on -one and in private to people, speaking to a public about this, a public who I can call my community, when it's such an uncomfortable and sensitive topic for so many people, um, it's only like done out of love on my side. Right. When, you know, that point about like uh, the overtness or the intentionality behind someone's actions, I think that's where, I mean, that's really where I find myself personally, and I don't mean to turn this into a therapy session about me, no. but if, um, but for me, it's, it's there, I'm sure that there are things that I do that can make someone of a different skin color look, feel, feel uncomfortable. Um, and I don't know what those things are. I don't know what those things look like. I don't know what are the things that I can do better to make that space more welcoming specifically in in the orthodox community when when you think about it there is such a high level of conformity in our community yeah right down to like the brands that you wear and like the types of yeah. skirts that you wear like all of that and then when you have someone who is obviously non-conformist based on some melanin like not based on anything it's just the way that you right. are that you know it there's there's a certain we we exist in this like club together and yeah. a big part of that club is the look and that's based on how we dress and all of that and when you obviously don't fit that look it can it gets tricky and i and i get how that gets tricky what are some of the what are some of the like what is that um that unintentional not malicious like microaggressions that you that you spoke about what do those look like what what is that what does that even mean what are some things that we can avoid um, I don't know that I have a list as much of things you can avoid. I'm happy to give examples because the truth is, is that 
it's not like a type of thing. It's not like, oh, like stop calling black people Schwarzes. Like, you know, like, I mean, right. I hope the people know. But to also stop don't do that, that, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I hope the people know, don't do that. Um, but um, it's not so much like specific things I can pinpoint as much as like examples that I can share. Like on the topic of Schwarzes, like I got into discussion once with someone who I really would not define as someone who is at all intentionally racist like I really don't think that I think they're a great sweet person but we got into a conversation about my upbringing and some negative things that I did experience growing up with the color skin that I have and I told them a story about how I went to a Hanukkah party as a very very little kid one of the adults there grabbed her children um, who I was playing with and I heard her say to them no no you don't play with the Schwarzes. Schwarzes are dirty and I relayed the story to this friend of mine. And my friend was like, no, but you didn't understand. They were like, well, it was so wrong of this person to say that Schwarzes are dirty. And that's terrible that they said that. But when people refer to Black people as Schwarzes, they don't mean it in a derogatory way. Schwarzes just means Black in Yiddish. Like, you just don't understand that. And I was like, I understand that that's how you see it. And I'm so happy that you are able to see people in that light and assume that they don't mean it maliciously. And even if people aren't thinking when they say Schwarza, ugh, ew, I want to be mean. The fact of the matter is, is that words come with a connotation. And same for the N-word. The N-word did not originally start off as a derogatory term at all. But through time, the N-word turned into something that was derogatory, and then it turned into eventually something that was tantamount to a curse word. So I think there's like a lot of things like that. Like that for me is something that like, no, maybe stop and consider what it would feel like if someone told you that the word kike is not really meant in a bad way because of what the word originally meant. Um, like even if the word originally, originally its teeny tiny origin wasn't a negative thing, like no like that doesn't really matter um and it comes down also to like little things like I call it the Shabbos table discussions that like people will say really rude comments that they don't see as rude as like oh yeah I had these movers you know those stupid black people I'm like they're not thinking they're not trying to be anything but it's just a normal thing like of course like they're lower class, they're second rate citizens, and it's just a normal way that people refer to them. And whenever I call people out on this, they're like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't actually mean that they were stupid. It's just, you know, how we talk. Um, right. So yeah, definitely things like that. And then there are also things that are a lot more subtle. Um, like I was at a Shabbos table once when someone was discussing a black made and directed film with pretty much all black actors that won a lot of awards and they were like, I don't see what all the hype is. I don't really get why it's so important. And I didn't say anything. I didn't feel comfortable as I often do not, especially when it's people who are a little bit older than me, or maybe I'm in that person's house and I don't want to be rude. I wanted to be like inside. I was thinking, well, it's important because we haven't had these things. We haven't had a voice for you. When you see an all white film, you don't even think that, Oh wow. Everyone in the film or 90% of the people in the film were Caucasian because that's a normal thing to see. And for me, when I see a film where 90% or everyone is black, that brings tears to my eyes, even if I don't like the movie, because it's so rare. Right, and that's something that 
you know, something that I can't help but but think is that there are so many of the, like the, specifically like that thing you just said about representation or um, like from, you know, Orthodox women experience a lack of representation also, you know, in mainstream right. Orthodox yeah. media, they're not going to show, um, they're not going to show women's faces. So that's, yeah, a, that's exactly. something that I can relate to when you're talking about walking in the street and feeling different. That's something that I can relate to. And at the same time, I know that the experience is totally different as a black person. And there's been a lot of talk about how white folks should be getting themselves educated. Um, And, you know, like there, there have even been people who are saying, you know, don't, don't reach out to um, don't, it's not, it's not the, a black woman's job to educate you. It's not her job to, to dismantle all the feelings that you have. And I'm not going to lie. I was I was embarrassed to reach out to you to um, (laughs) I I really was because I knew I full disclosure I'd wanted to talk to you for a while and I was and for even for like you've been on my list for a couple of months of like people who I need to reach out to and I was like I don't want to reach out to someone and be like hi I'm really curious what it's like to be a black orthodox person do you want to come and talk about that because that to me just feels very 1965 and I just and that wasn't and now it felt like people are finally listening and maybe and it's and I was just like okay this is the kick in the pants that I needed I'm just gonna bite the bullet and and go for it um but what are your feelings around that around like that's exactly what happened here me as a very white person reached out to you as a black person and said can 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 you talk can you can you teach us yeah what is that like um, I think once again, this goes back to different people are going to feel differently about this. I personally don't have a problem with it. I think the way people should approach it when it comes to wanting to speak to people of color, particularly if we're speaking about Orthodox Jews who want to speak to other Black Jews about what their experience is like in their own communities. Um, I think the best way to approach it is that that person may indeed want to share, like, no one has ever really asked me to share my experience and what it feels like on a public platform before. I mean, now, specifically in the past two days, a whole bunch of people have, but I'm saying up until now, up until now, it's 25 years of my life, no one has ever asked me on a broader scale, tell us, we the From community want to hear, we want to listen. So I personally am more than happy to share So I think that people shouldn't completely decide that that's something that they can't look into. But I think that, A, they should approach it with extreme sensitivity because many people do not feel the way that I feel. Um, And they may feel quite exactly like what you said, like, this isn't my job. There are other ways you can get educated. But that even if they do approach someone, and even if it is with sensitivity, the biggest thing is not to have the expectation that they will just because you do, you know? like my inbox is flooded right now with quite literally hundreds of messages and I may not be able to get into a deep conversation with every single person. However, I personally am thankful that people are even showing up and want to hear. So I would say that it's not something people should completely write off. If it's something that they really want, they should probably approach with caution, but that one way or another, even if someone really does want to hear what it's like from a black perspective, they should probably do their own research first. Because there are lots of Black people who have written articles or books about their experience in the religious community that they can first start following. Um, And also, I think most Black people, especially Black Jews, would 
definitely appreciate it if before people come and speak to them, if they did kind of their own cheshmonefish, um, they did kind of their own introspection first and ask themselves the own hard questions. Is it possible that perhaps I am slightly racist? Might I have a bias, a negative bias? Can I work on this? Maybe read certain books, literature, watch movies just to get informed on our history um, to understand psychologically where we're coming from. And after maybe someone has done all of that, to then if they still really feel like it's important for them to hear, then consider reaching out to someone of color. Um, but like I said, to tread with caution, because I think that we would probably feel this way when it comes to anti-Semitism in the world that some Jews are more than happy to share, you know, they're more than happy to explain to people why it's wrong and why anti-Semitism clearly exists. But some Jews will feel like, no, I'm sorry, it's not my job. Look at history, look at the news, get informed. Um, so yeah, I'm personally open to it, but definitely tread with sensitivity. You said that no one's asked, so I'm going to ask, what's it like being a Black Jew? <laughs> what's it like being a Black Jew? Um, it is something that I am proud of, but can be extremely alienating. Um, I am proud of my Black heritage. I'm proud of my skin, but it hasn't always been easy to do so in an Orthodox space. For the most part, like I said, I've been super lucky, and I keep repeating this because I do know other Black women who are Orthodox from birth and did not experience what I experienced in my life growing up, and as a result, are either super jaded or left the Orthodox community. Um, I have a family member, in fact, who I love dearly, who was the most Haredi of all of our family members, like Beis Yaakov, the whole nine yards, and in her early 40s she finally left the orthodox world because she was having such a hard time just being accepted she wasn't able to get married no one no one wanted to let her son marry her she is a columbia grad extremely well educated successful all the things that would look good on a resume but she couldn't make a jewish home in a jewish life and eventually she left so for me my blackness is something that I'm proud of. It's a part of me. Um, I am very lucky that I'm able not to be jaded and bogged down by only negative encounters because I've had a lot of positive ones. But what is it like to be an Orthodox Black Jew? It is hard a lot of times. It's hard whenever I leave home and I have to face the questions and I have to prove myself and prove my Jewishness. It's hard when things like what are happening now in the world come up and people usually don't want to hear and even once they finally do want to hear they only want to hear as long as it's not infringing on their own sense of self or on their own actions um and it's especially hard when those people might be people who you love and respect from your own community who on one end you revere but on the other end you can't actually rely on right and it's it's i can i can blah. I can't, I'm, tr I'm trying so hard to wrap my brain around this. And it's, and I think that's part of the, the problem is that I, I, yeah, um, one of the memes that I'm seeing a lot is, um, I understand that I don't, that I, that I don't get it or something like that. Yeah. It was, I understand um, that I don't understand, but I stand. Yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> and, and that's, and I, and that's, I think a really good place to start, but I also, yeah. but it also, it also kind of feels like a cop out. It also kind of feels like 
your problem, go deal with it in that corner over there. Right, um, and, and that's, and even, even today with, um, blackout Tuesday and, and, you know, white people saying that they're not going to post and all of that, that to me has been, I was like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, I don't, you know, I just didn't, I'm glad that we got the opportunity to to speak today. And this is what I'm, I'm really glad that this conversation is going to be what I'm going to put out in the world today. Cause I feel like yeah. it's so important now. What, what are some of the ways like talk, explain to me, like I'm five, how mm-hmm. is being black in America different than being white? What does that mean on a day-to-day basis? How does, how does that affect the way that you go about your life? Um, it means that you are terrified for the men in your family. Maybe not every single second of the day are you shaking in fear, but when they go in for a job interview or when they're going to work that day in a predominantly white area, you're scared for them. You're scared that they might be pulled over and just have a bad day from a bad interaction. You're scared that it could be worse and they might not come home. Um, I know that that might sound extreme to many people, but it's happened to people in my family um, that they had horrible, horrible experiences. Yes, with police, but also not just police, just with human beings, treating them terribly, physically hurting them. Um, It means that. It means that wherever you go, no matter what, if I'm just going to the mall or the bank, know that very often more than not people are making assumptions about your education your understanding of things your income um your abilities even if they're not saying it it comes out in conversation Um, it means that people are surprised (laughs) when they find out that you might be even better than them in a certain subject or that you have succeeded in certain areas it means also that you feel like you can't really rely on this country system, that you don't really feel like you can be heard. It feels like you're the cool passing fad at the moment that people will get all in arms for, but then completely forget about once everything's died down and won't continue trying to make efforts. Um, it means that you feel different. And even if you know that different can be good, you're always aware of that, that you're different. Yeah. What would you say to the people who, listen, to be anti-racist is a term that I learned in the past two days. Right. Um, and it's a great term. It's also really trending right now. And there are plenty yes. of people who are <laughs> jumping on that bandwagon because it's great for engagement or it'll get a lot of likes or love everybody. Fabulous. Um, and not, I know that for me personally, not wanting to do that is what has made me not say anything, which I don't like either, but here we are. What, what would you say to those people who are jumping on the anti-racist hashtags, um, for the first time in the last, let's say 24 hours? And who are nervous about it, you're saying? Who this is like a new endeavor for them? No, who it's, who are doing it, who are jumping on a trend. Uh, who are jumping on a trend. <laughs> to those people, I would probably say thank you, no thank you. <laughs> it's not helpful. It doesn't do anything to help me. And just having people screaming all together for 24 hours, 48 hours a week gets nothing done. I would much prefer that people 
say whatever they want to say, but are doing the work internally or don't say anything at all, but are doing the work internally. I think that in general with all this, so many people, white and black alike, have felt the pressure to speak. So many people have felt the pressure to stay silent. I think it's being pushed in every single direction because it's a really complicated issue that many people of the same community might feel different. And to me, I really think right now, the most important thing is that people do whatever is right for them, whether that is speaking or not speaking. The only thing that I think all people should be doing is I think all people right now really need to be asking themselves really uncomfortable questions and having really uncomfortable conversations with themselves. And I think if people don't know where to start with that, I think that maybe buy a book. If they don't like books, maybe go ahead and watch historical movies and if all of these things aren't your thing, then maybe read an article about a Black person's experience in America and take whoever the victim was in that story and put yourself into their shoes. And if you can't put yourself into their shoes, take someone you love, your husband, your father, and imagine that it was your father who was slammed against a cop car and had his nose broken and came home on Erev Shabbos, for example, or something like that, you know? Um, I would say that I think people really, without even spending money or too much time, can do a lot of work first on themselves before jumping on the bandwagon, because I think they might automatically be more sensitive and then feel a lot more comfortable to either not speak or speak, but to move forward with this and help others. So you don't think that everyone should be speaking just for the sake of it? No. I very much so appreciate the people who have been speaking, but... I don't want people to be speaking when they feel like they don't know what they're going to be saying and it's going to be causing them anxiety and it's going to affect their mental health, which I think should be coming above all. Um, there are black people who don't feel comfortable speaking right now. You know, this isn't only a, oh, only white people don't know what to say. A lot of black people don't know what to say. And I think that social media is a great, great tool. And I can say personally that the large from the large religious women on Instagram who have been speaking out have given me just such a sense of belonging and calm that it has quite literally moved me to tears on many occasions. I think if people can speak, they feel comfortable, they feel confident in what they have to share, and they feel mentally that they can, that 1000% they should because it means the world to people like me. And it also means the world to people who aren't like me, but who may have preconceived notions about the Jewish community. I think it's a Kiddush Hashem. Having said that, I think if someone's really uncomfortable, they don't know, they're going back and forth and they don't feel comfortable, that there are other ways that they can be helping. Right. If, what, are, what are some of the things that, yeah, that you mentioned that you were moved to tears? What are some of those, if people do choose to speak, what do you want to hear you know, your white Jewish friends saying? Um, when people are able to discuss the murders and recognize that no matter what else is happening in the world that needs to stop, I deeply appreciate that. Um, I think far too many people are focusing on the symptom and not the disease, so to speak. Um, and instead of focusing on why it happened, they're focusing on the aftermath of what ended up happening. And that to me is heartbreaking, not because I think that people shouldn't say that certain things are wrong, 
because certain things are wrong and they are not the way to handle things. But it's more of the fact that they're not able to also say that other things are equally wrong and morally reprehensible and focus on that. Um, what did you ask again? What are things that... <laughs> if, if people do choose to, to speak up, what are the things that you want to hear them say? Um, I also really appreciated seeing, even if I don't quite understand it myself, all the people who in the past few days or in the past few months, and in, they're speaking about it today, have spent time, like I said, trying to educate themselves. Friends who, who are not Black, who have been writing about issues in events in black history that I have known since a child but they knew nothing about and they were like oh my gosh I can't believe that xyz happened in history I can only imagine if that were my recent history not a history from 2000 years ago and that my recent history doesn't look so different from my current history what I would be feeling you know um so that also I really really appreciate all the people who have done the homework and who are trying to do the homework and are sharing the things that they've learned in right. perspective for those in their community. Right. You mentioned before some uncomfortable questions that maybe people should be asking themselves. What are, what are, what are some of those questions? What could some of those questions look like? What if, if I'm someone who wants to start doing the inner work of um, unearthing subconscious bias, where, where do I start? What is the, what's something that I should be asking myself? I don't have such like a great answer for this because like I haven't spent too much time thinking about it because I'm not asking myself these questions. Um, I've asked myself them on other topics. So I guess I could extrapolate from that. Um, I guess things like not starting with am I racist because I think most kind people out there, as I like to think most people are, when they ask themselves that question, they'll say, no, of course I'm not racist. I don't hate the black man who rings me up at the cashier and I don't hate the black man who was on the subway today. Of course, I'm not racist. I think more asking questions about day-to-day life. If a Jew walked, uh, sorry, if a black man walked into my shul, would I assume that he was there for maintenance or mincha? If my daughter came home and she said that she wanted to have a play, a play, play date, whatever they're called, a play date at um, her new friend's house, and I found out that her new friend was a black family, would I feel comfortable sending her there alone? If a black man passes me on the street, do I clench up in fear? And if so, do I have that same reaction when it's a white man? Um, I think a lot of like day-to-day questions that they could be asking themselves if I met a whatever place they are in life, whatever person holds a revered position, a professor, um, the senior partner at their law firm, if I met a person in that place, would I be mildly surprised to very surprised? Um, I think a lot of those are the uncomfortable questions that just, for example, people could be asking themselves that are telling, even if it's hard to say. Right. That those are, yeah, as, and as you're going through them, you know, specifically when you said about like walking into a shul, I would 100% assume that a black man was there, you know, as a, as a worker, not there to dominate. Yeah. And that kind of sucks. I kind of hate that that's true. Yeah. But at the same time, it gets me a little bit confused because 
there aren't that many black people who would be davening mincha. Like if you, there's, they're like a small percentage of, but at the same time, I shouldn't be assuming it. Yeah, I think there's definitely a small percentage if we're looking at the greater American Jewish Orthodox community of black people than Caucasian people. That's true. But there are a lot more of us, I think, than people think. I don't live in New York, but all my siblings, like I said, my father's a New Yorker, so all my siblings except for me were all born and raised in New York. And for the most part, they also live there. And my husband, who I don't see as racist, but once again, we all come with pieces that might surprise us that don't make us a malicious person, but we have bias. Um, Was really surprised when a family member passed away earlier this summer. And for Shiva and for that Shabbos, the house was packed. There was like 20, 30 people at that meal. And he was the only Caucasian person. And he was like, wow, I had no idea that there were so many from Black Jews. These weren't people who drove over on Shabbos. These were, I think, you know, actually one person did drive over on Shabbos. Okay, but uh, every every family. (laughs) Yeah, for an amount, for a crowd that large, yeah. Um, these are all from people who are very well versed in Yiddishkeit and this is the life that they lead just as normally as my friends do all over the world who are from and um, he was really surprised and he was like wow I had no idea that there are so many black from Jews and I think a lot of people when they see a large group of religious from Jews are really really surprised Um, I know that my brother for example he has always lived in New York, like I said, and he and his wife are religious. They've sent their kids to um, all the classic religious schools all their child's lives. And he told my husband, when my husband remarked this, that he shouldn't be surprised. And my husband was very confused. And he was just, my, to my brother, this is normal. Once again, not bitter. This is just a normal part of our reality as black orthodox Jews and my brother was like yeah that's normal a lot of times when I go to shul or when I'm just walking in my neighborhood and he lives in a very large Jewish community people will quite literally pull out their phones and come close to me to take a photo because they are so confused as to what the heck this black man is doing in a white button-down shirt and velvet kippah and of course he said that when people do that he asks them to please delete that photo that he is not an animal in the zoo but this is just a normal part of his everyday life um and that's a sad reality that really needs to be combated and that's stories like that experiences like that that i have that all my family members have are the exact reason why i'm doing what i'm doing now yeah and that just made me cringe so bad. And I'm, and I'm sorry that I'm, I'm not even a tiny bit surprised that that happened. Like it yeah. doesn't, I'm not shocked. I'm just upset yeah. or annoyed. I don't know. Um, what was it like, you know, your, your husband is white. Yes. And what, how, like, what was your, if you don't mind me asking you, if yeah. it's personal, but like, what was your dating process like? And did like, um, did you, was, was there pushback from his family or, like, how did that pan itself out? So pretty much all of my life, I was very subconsciously now, when I look back, preparing myself for the pushback that I would have to deal with one day if I ended up dating someone who was white. 
Um, and I was preparing myself for that because the likelihood was that I would, seeing as how I'm an Orthodox Jew in a community where no one else looks like me for the most part. Um, but Hashem, uh, God blessed me and I was extremely, extremely lucky. And my in-laws were extremely welcoming. My mother-in-law is French Algerian and my father-in-law did not grow up religious at all. And I don't know if it's their experiences, their backgrounds, or just their amazing personalities, but they were extremely welcoming, never made me feel uncomfortable about my skin, never raised the issue even at any point. A member um, who was more removed in my husband's family when we got engaged, sat him down once and asked him, and this member of the family, just once again to reiterate something that I've already said, not a malicious person, I would not think to think of her at all as racist, um, said, well, are you sure you want to marry someone who looks the way that your now wife does? Because that might cause issues for your children. And this person is of a different generation, of a different world, but my husband got very upset. And that was quite literally the only thing that I had to deal with. And I know that I am extremely, extremely lucky with that. This person, by the way, is super kind to me, super welcoming, has never treated me anything like a, but a family member. But I know that that story being the only thing that I have to share is very, very rare because every other person, for the most part, who I know who is Black, Jewish, and married to someone else in the Orthodox world, they oftentimes have very difficult stories of what it is like with in-laws and everything. Right. And in a way, I kind of feel how, I mean, it's an awful question for her to ask. And it's also a really legitimate concern because, yeah, you know, yeah. like you've been saying, your, your experience in, its, in the positiveness of it is rare. Um, and, yeah. that, and that most people, most Black people in the Orthodox world do have less than positive experiences um yeah so i i i I hear all the million and seven sides of it and that's where i think people get confused because there are a million and seven sides of it and none of them are fun and none of them are you know none of them are great places to to sit and to and to just be in um i'm curious is i know that you live in israel mostly yeah now um well yeah we live fully there but thanks to covid we're stuck here yeah Great. I mean, I could think of worse places to get stuck than Florida, yeah, but true. yeah, it's, it's not home, and I and I feel you. Yeah, it's certainly not Israel. Um, is your is your life different there? Um, is you know how how is being black outside of America different from being black in America? Um, in the Jewish community, you're saying? Yeah, sure. Um, it's interesting. It is very different. Um. I just did a live with Hadassah Goldberg and people also asked a similar question, like how does it compare being black and Orthodox in America and being the same in Israel? And I said that I think it's neither one is better. They're just different. Um, Israel is a very, very colorful place. And inside the Jewish religion, there are Jews of all colors in Israel. And it's such a small place. And there's just higher percentages of Jews of color there that you see in one area, in any place in the country. Um, and 
coming from America, that was very nice to see that no matter where I went, north to south, I could see Jews of all color. Um, so at face value, that was an exciting thing when I was new there. Having said that, Israel is a country and Israeli society has a lot of um, assumptions about people. They like to box people. They like to put you into a neat little box and push you off to the side once they've labeled you. Um, not that as Americans we don't love labels either, but it's even more rampant in the society there, no matter who you are, what, what part of it you come from. And I think the thing in Israel that's frustrating is all the assumptions that people have when they see me. They're not voicing them because they don't have a problem with it and they're not really thinking about it, but those assumptions are there. They see me, they see my skirt length, they see that I'm covering my hair, and the reaction is, oh, well, if she's that religious and if she is also black, then she's Ethiopian. Like, obviously. Right. <laughs> Full disclosure, I am not Ethiopian. I think that the Ethiopian culture is great and beautiful, but it's just not mine, um, at least not to my knowledge. And the other thing that my husband and I always laugh about is that I don't look Ethiopian. When you not look at, at Ethiopian Jews and you look at me, I have different features. Um, my skin tone is different. I just don't look Ethiopian. And so I think in Israel, it's a lot of like underneath the skin assumptions that don't always come off in a malicious tone, but can be very frustrating and hurtful to someone. Um, just for example, my husband and I were on a date once before we were married and we were in a movie theater and there's someone black on screen and that person dies. And all of a sudden we hear behind us, like all these Israeli teens and they're like gasping and they're upset and they're this and that. And then one girl goes, why lo, lo Ethiopian, mazafioto. Oh my gosh, no, not the Ethiopian. I loved him so much. This guy was not Ethiopian. The whole point of the movie was about <laughs> refugees from a specific part of Africa that was nowhere near Ethiopia. And they were not Jewish. There was no way that she could have possibly confused this and made the assumption. It was just an assumption that's drilled into her and that's what she comes up with. Right. So in America, on the other hand, people are very into being politically correct. Um, and so people would never make those assumptions. And if, even if they had them, they certainly wouldn't voice them. You know, the way people in Israel will automatically assume that I have a fantastic injera recipe. I've eaten injera once in my life. Um, people we should in say America, that that's an Ethiopian food. <laughs> yeah, it's an Ethiopian kind of flat bread that you can roll up and all sorts. But um, people in America wouldn't usually at least make that assumption and then go ahead and say that to me but what i find in america is that while you don't have those assumptions you need to fight to be accepted in israel if a black jew walks into a shul once again israel also has racism it is also a huge problem there but if a jew walks into a shul in certain communities in a lot of communities i'll say he isn't going to have the same reaction of shock as in america right especially if he walks in looking like he should be there um people won't be as confused and as surprised as to what is this jew doing in a black hat or you know the suit on shabbos how does he know how to daven um i know that my own father when he came to a new community had the experience of the balcora not wanting to give him an aliyah because he was like well how do we know he's jewish 
he was. <laughs> he was very much so Jewish, but the Balkora refused to give him an aliyah and didn't want to because he was like, well, he can't be Jewish. He's black. Um, so I think the whole Israel versus America thing is really, neither one of them is better. And what people prefer is just going to be purely based off of the person. Um, cause they're both equally frustrating in different ways. For some people, it might be easier to come into a community and just be accepted. Um, for other people, it might be easier to come to community, have to do the waiting and vetting process while everyone in the community very politically correctly asks you all these questions. But then after a period of time, a few months or however long it might take, longer, shorter, once you're accepted, then you're accepted. And then you're a part of the community and everyone knows who you are. Um, so yeah, those are my thoughts on that. Yeah. And I am going to link to that live that you did with Hadassah in the show notes. Um, I okay. think that it is possibly one of the best Instagram lives that I've ever listened That's to. That's so sweet. It was, it was <laughs> just really. I totally did not feel like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> uh, can I tell you something? Whenever I listen back to, I've guessed it on a bunch of podcasts and lives and whatever, and it takes me months to listen back to them and every now and then someone will like send me a little clip or whatever or they'll be like oh you said this thing and that was so great and I was like I don't remember saying that I don't remember any of that none of that like that didn't happen. and then I'll go back and I'll listen to it I'll be like damn I sound good that's great <laughs> like that's amazing so yeah that's I that was that was a fantastic live and I am gonna link to it um in the show notes oh, um, and anyone who wants to listen to that um should definitely definitely take the time to to do that Right now, and we mentioned this earlier, that racism is trendy right now. Everyone's okay. talking about it. It's, it probably will be for, let's say, another week and a half or so. Right. And then things are going to die down. Yeah. Um, what, what do you want people to be thinking about in a month from now? What do you want people to take out of this 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 week let's say this this you know this new consciousness what is something that someone can do now um to take with them for the next 20 years right um now to the next 20 years i think i would have to go back to what i already said before about the introspection and trying to self-educate and beat out whatever ignorance that people might have because we all have ignorance to certain communities or another just what happens when you're not part of a certain world it doesn't mean that you are an ignorant person at all um so from now to 20 years i think that's the thing that people could take with them the most and that'll make the biggest change from now to a month from now when things have died down and it's not, hopefully it hopefully there will be no reason for this to come up again like the reasons that it did come up but if all goes quietly, as they say, in a month from now, I think the thing that I would really appreciate is if people would make the effort to recognize that just because we're not talking about this in the news, it doesn't mean that A, it's not still happening, and it doesn't mean that B, the Black community is not still suffering. People have been supporting Black businesses, they have been donating, they have been doing the thing that I think is the most powerful which is talking to their own communities, their own friends, their own loved ones. And I, to me, for outward actions, I think that is the most powerful thing that people can do now and make sure to do then. Because like you said, right now everyone's talking about it. So if it comes up at dinner, not that it's not important to, you know, make sure that people can understand the black community it is, 
but it'll be even more so important in a month from now, six months from now, to make sure that when something is said that we don't just let it slide and make it a, oh, ha ha, that's funny. Like, no, that we say something because we don't know when that person is going to be in a situation with perhaps someone black that could end up horribly, but because they had a conversation with someone that made them open them up, their eyes or second guess their natural inclinations that they might end up walking away from that really well, you know? Um, and I think that goes also not just for people's families and communities, but also for people's kids. I think uh, children are not born with this. Children are not born racist. They learn this. And no one knows what they might be subconsciously imparting onto their child. And I think opening the conversation up young, not about murder, but opening the conversation up about, okay, people are different. And different does not need to be negative. And we don't need to see people who look different as second class or as someone who we don't want to be around with. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Homework assigned. I, I'm, I'm ready. It's, it, these past few days have been really confusing and kind of exhausting for me. And I can only imagine how much more confusing and exhausting it is for you. Um, yeah. Especially when this is something that you live all the time and now people are listening. And I, I can almost hear the urgency of like, people are listening for these five minutes. So here are all the things that I need to tell you in these five yeah. minutes. Yeah. And then and and the thing that I, I think that I, that I hope everyone takes away from this is to keep listening, um, to keep yeah. listening, to keep learning um, and to, I guess, examine, examine, like you said, ask yourself those uncomfortable questions um, and and start in your own backyard and worry about your own your own community and, and take it from there. This has been mind opening. And and I'm thank you so much yeah, for coming on. If somebody wants to learn more um about you or learn more from you where can they go um i am on instagram um you could put my handle down below it's yafnew y-f-n-e-w um and i welcome all people there no matter what their race or religion or gender is everyone's really welcome and it's a damn beautiful page if i do say so myself <laughs> it's a really pretty one um, you're really sweet it's so true though. It's so pretty. Um, if uh, the last thing I want to ask is what I ask everyone who comes on the show and that is to you, Yaf Newman, what does it mean to make an impact? To me, to make an impact means to help people who are invisible, not because they're silent and not because they're not there, be able to be seen, be able to be heard, be able to be understood, but most importantly, be able to be felt by others. That's what making an impact means to me. Amen. Thank you so much for coming on today, Yaf. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for listening. You can find the links we mentioned in our conversation in the show notes. You'll also find links to at-home activities perfect for quarantine, some of which are free, all of which are high fashion. Impact Fashion is a line of size-inclusive, modest fashion. Right now, you can get 40% off using code LOVELYPPE, and I'll donate 19% of your purchase to help get PPE to our frontline healthcare workers. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to help more people hear it. Leave a review or a quick rating. It'll make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.